Welcome to 10 Minute Tips to Teach Music with Clarissa Custom Music's very own Kerry Lacey. Hey everyone, welcome to week four of my podcast, 10 Minute Tips to Teach Music. It is so lovely to see so many people downloading this podcast. I'd like to do a quick shout out to some of my VIP members. I'd like to say hey to Joanne Ford, Fiona Friedman, Chris Coop, Justine Mokhtar, Wendy Yeomans, Gavin Hughes, Sarah Kernahan, and Elizabeth Ford. Thanks so much for your support in my business this week and always. I'd also like to encourage you to share this podcast with as many fellow colleagues and students that you feel will benefit. It's a simple thing to pop it on your social media or tell others. The support alone is worth it. This week I'm going to talk about a topic that some of the students might be studying. It's called Music from 1900 to 1945. Now, this is a topic that is set for the HSC Music 2 that my students do, so it might ring a bell to some of you. However, if you're not a HSC or Sydney-based teacher, don't fear. A lot of the things in this particular podcast will certainly help you and your students. What I plan to do is give an overview of a few things, and of course there's a document on the website. If you go to clarissacustommusic.com.au, that's Clarissa spelt K-L-E-R-R-I-S-A, custom music, all one word, .com.au, and head on over to the latest news page, you'll find the blog post for this particular episode. In that PDF, I've put some points from my story today, along with some special items for you and your students. I won't discuss the tables till the end, because it really won't make any sense until after you've listened to the podcast. So let's get started. 1900 to 1945, now this for me is a really interesting time period. I actually call it the isms time period, which might seem a bit odd, but the main reason is because during this time, music moved from one practice to another really, really quickly. And a lot of the practices had words that ended in ism. So you may have heard of primitivism, neoclassicism, impressionism, expressionism, serialism, minimalism. So no other era of music changed like this. There was a pretty much a consequence out of the nationalists from the back end of the Romantic period all trying to find their own sound, if you can imagine. Um, as music entered the 20th centuries, the composers really wanted to diversify and search for some originality. And so this is where a lot of these variety of styles came from. A similar thing was happening pretty much in other areas around the world too, like with a number of discoveries, inventions, movements. Many of these things were affecting the arts, like the invention of the phonograph, for example, and the radio allowed music to become more easily sourced and and free pretty much to everyone. And let's be realistic, it doesn't matter what time period you're from, anything freely available is a pretty good win, right? Well, in this case it was. We also had great minds like Freud and Jung, Adler and many others who investigated the psyche of the human mind. Uh, They were trying to attempt to explain what artists were already exploring. You had movements such as fascism over in Europe and communism in Germany, They all condemned all non-traditional creativity. So a lot of the artists that lived in those areas actually fled the country. And you'll see reference to it uh, at the end of the table, at one of the tables at the end rather, uh, of the PDF. Both Verez and Prokofiev, for example, fled to the US. Um, Some of them ended up going back, but a lot of the time they fled to just free the restrictions of their homeland. The Soviet Union, for example, was cut off from mainstream musical influences with the rise of Stalin who was more in favour of the nationalistic trends of the 1800s. And after World War One, European countries had barely recovered before they were hit with the Depression and then World War Two. So it was a difficult time. In the past, back in the Baroque period, the church were 
not only involved in music of the period, but um, they were heavily involved. Well, in this time period, not so. And so they were sort of trying to push back to neoclassicism and renaissance in order to connect with their people, I suppose. Opera continued to grow throughout the 20th century, keeping the public connected to this form. The invention of the radio popularised artists and that led, of course, to concert series and that meant there was more exposure to the common man. The development of the isms provided this opportunity to hear music from different series of styles. From a melodic perspective, you saw things like alternate scale forms, like whole tone scales, folk scales, synthetic scales and modes were being preferred over the traditional tonality of that major minor system. If you're not sure about these scales, you can Google them, or if you're a student, talk to your teacher about them. Uh, these scales, can they really helped to create the different nationalistic sounds or original sounds that some of these composers were trying to develop. The French, for example, developed something they called objet sonore. Now, this was loosely translated as sonorous object. It actually literally means where the listener could not identify the sound's origin. So this led to a favour for a tonal centre rather than a tonality. And textual techniques where horizontal layering of notes created the harmony through blending techniques. Now think about that for a minute. Horizontal layering of notes created the harmony. Best example of this would be Debussy and the Impressionists. He'd write motifs or melodic ideas for the piano where the sustained pedal would be pressed down and the notes would stagger their entries and eventually they would blend to create what he called this sonorous object. Melodic lines would contain wide intervallic leaps, rhythmic complexity and extreme ranges in order to engage the listener. Symmetrical phrasing became a thing of the past. They sort of went for more of a motivic, fragmented style of writing melodies. Notes uh, of the melodic line were sometimes played over a number of octaves or divided between different instruments in order to vary the timbre. This was really popular with the serial composers. You know, the expressionism uh, period, they really liked the angular melodies. Uh, it sort of led toward the atonality of the time period. Expressionism saw the melody sometimes replaced with sprechstimme, which was translated as intoned speech. It's not really fully sung and it's not really fully spoken. Uh, and so that was an interesting style that the uh, serialists and the expressionists used, particularly Schomburg in Pure Lunaire. Uh, harmonically, tradition was thrown by the wayside with a more of a move toward bitonality, which of course are two similar simultaneous tonalities. Atonality, where there's no tonal centre at all. Uh, polytonality, where you've got lots of tonalities against each other. And then of course the central tone, as I mentioned already. Texturally, composers placed more of an importance on silence as a tool to look at exploring the thinner textures, which was really designed to highlight the tonal qualities of the instruments and the lines and the layers they were creating. Uh, traditional contrapuntal writing, I'm sure you've all heard that before, which of course is conversational writing, was modified to remove all the rules and instead focused on these connections between instrumental timbres or tone colours. There was a tendency to focus on unusual combinations of instruments in tiny groups uh, in order to explore the contrast between these different timbres. Traditional sectional balance like a heavy number of strings versus a small number of brass was pretty much tossed out the window and it was more, the groups were more of a, an even playing field between a selection of instruments that contained more of an equal treatment of melody and harmony or melodic and accompaniment. So the voice, for example, would shift from melodic roles to accompanying roles, uh, which was 
going against the traditional practices of the 19th century, or the 1800s rather. Score writing varied during the time. Sometimes the scores followed like a traditional structure with other works having um, to create new forms of notation in order to compose what, or in order to explain what the composers wanted. Um, some scores allowed freedom for the performer, uh, something we usually saw in a cadenza. Uh, performance directions were a lot less in Italian and more in the vernacular. Unlike previous periods in music, form was not really unique to the 20th century. There was sort of a move to smaller group, smaller forms without sacrificing the need for larger forms. A lot of the overtures were symphonic poems. Variation became very popular, again, but more from a tone, colour and rhythmic perspective. Now, in this podcast, I've discussed an awful lot of musical content. And for some students listening, it might be a little bit overwhelming. It might have gone a little fast. And you might be thinking, well, some notes would be good. Well, I've got you covered. In the PDF on the website, I've got notes from what I've said along with two really great tables. The first table has a list of the musical elements that I've spoken about, along with notes about why composers might have used that element. For example, alternate scales. If you're writing an exam question response that asks, how has the melodic material been treated, then you might mention the use of alternate scales. For example, you might write in your response, this melody played by the flute uses the whole tone scale. Now that's a good response, right? But a more in-depth response might be, the sonorous flute melody in its mid-register uses the whole tone scale, which helps to blur the harmonic movement and create a calming variety for the listener. Now you can see in this sentence, I added a tone color word to explain the instrument. I added the pitch location, which was mid-register. And I also gave a reason why the composer might have chosen this particular tonality. The first sentence describes, whereas the second sentence really tells how it's been used. There's a big difference. The second table I've got at the end of the PDF is a list of some, certainly not all, of the composers you might find in the time period along with the ism they favoured. This doesn't mean that they predominantly composed using this practice. Stravinsky, for example, composed uh, using primitivism early on and then neoclassicism toward the end. I've also included their nationality, as this comes with a whole range of comp devices that um, would be going to your assumed knowledge, and any other notes that I thought worthy of mentioning. This should help you. The PDF's available on the website. It's clarissacustommusic.com.au forward slash latest news. That's Clarissa spelled K-L-E-R-R-I-S-A, custommusic.com.au forward slash latest news. Or when you get to the website page, you can actually click on the podcast in the navigation at the top. And the first thing you'll see is a link to the documents. Well, that's it for another week. On next week's show, I'm going to talk about what contrast is in music, what it really means. Before I go, I'd like to leave you with a little quote. As Muhammad Ali said, service to others is the rent you pay for your room here on earth. Hope you have a great day and don't forget to spread the word about the podcast. For more tips and tricks, head on over to clarissacustommusic.com.au.